Did you know that according to Linda McCarthy of Golden Seeds, in the United States, women make up nearly 26% of the 320,000 total angel investors, 26%, just over 80,000. More women-led angel groups are popping up, but the number of women angels is still very small. That's really low considering women are outpacing men in starting companies. While the percentage numbers vary from region to region, industry to industry, and even country to country, the fact still remains that we need to get more women interested and educated in angel investing as an investment strategy. There are tons of myths and half-truths out there about what it takes to become an angel investor, just as there are many unfounded fears and obstacles that stand in the way of becoming an investor. Today, I hope to give you a peek inside the process and answer some of those pressing questions for you. But first, ask yourself two questions. What do I need to get serious about starting my angel investing journey? And what do I need to know to protect myself, my investments, and long-term wealth? morning, Mogul Chicks, and welcome to Mogul Chicks Chat or Mogul Chicks Radio. I'm your host, Adrienne Graham, founder and CEO of Mogul Chicks LLC. I am a self-made businesswoman, strategic growth advisor, serial entrepreneur, investor, author, mentor, mother, and bringer of real talk. I help female-founded companies scale, grow, and become investment ready. My personal mission is to help you run a better company and build a legacy to pass through generations. So let's get started. You know, angel investing can be part wealth building vehicle, part philanthropic endeavor. Many women entrepreneurs are seeking investment dollars, but find themselves often coming up with the short end of the stick because they can't really find investors that will take a chance on them. That's where angel investing comes in. Angel investors serve two purposes. One, to build wealth for individuals, for women in particular. It's a great way to build wealth and build your financial security. But it's also a way for women to give back as investors to help the next up-and-coming, thriving companies, growth companies. Without angel investing, both objectives will be harder to meet by women. Today, my guest Karen Rains and I will talk about the benefits and the challenges, the options available, and the smart ways to make angel investing work for you and help up-and-coming entrepreneurs at the same time. It's not an easy feat, but it can be done. So let's get started and move on to introduce my guest. Today we have Karen Rands. She is a nationally recognized expert on angel investing and the best-selling author of the book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, offering a step-by-step guide to strategies to leverage investment in private equity for passive wealth creation. That is a mouthful. Karen has committed over half of her adult life to helping entrepreneurs succeed by providing strategic services to accelerate their growth and access to capital. She has spent over 10 years investing her own money in educating other investors how to create wealth by funding innovation and job creation. She calls this compassionate capitalism. And if you haven't gotten her newsletter, you need to subscribe. And she's leading the compassionate capitalist movement. Here is her book on, well, those of you on listening on the radio, you can't see it, but those of you on Facebook Live, here's their book. I have the e-books. It's on Kindle. It's on Amazon. It's also available on her website. Karen, welcome to the show. How are you? (laughs) I'm great. I'm trying to, as you can tell, I'm navigating my lighting here. (laughs) 
Welcome to the show. We were for those of you who don't know, we were supposed to have Karen on weeks ago, but then Hurricane Irma had other ideas, so we were not able to do the show back then. But I'm glad we were able to reschedule and do it today because you guys, as you know, I love angel investing. It's, it's very near and dear to my heart, and. For both, like I said earlier, both purposes for women entrepreneurs and for women investors, it is absolutely, it can be a marriage made in heaven. So I want to take the time today, Karen, we're going to talk about a couple of things and I want to get started, first of all, with your book. I usually don't do that, but I've waited so long for you to finish this book. (laughs) I'm so glad that it's done. I want you to talk a little bit about Inside Secrets to Angel Investing. What what was the impetus to make you write the book? To remove all of the barriers or most of the barriers between entrepreneurs and investors. We realized it was a great opportunity for entrepreneurs to um, propel forward. We could have so much more growth in entrepreneurism and innovation into the marketplace. But the big challenge was the investors, just because it's that old adage, you build it and they will come, not necessarily when it comes to crowdfunding campaigns or even just raising capital. They're, the competition to raise capital goes up, but we needed net new um, capital into the marketplace that was smart about it because the worst thing that could happen with the Jobs Act would be for people to jump in because they saw a, a great video or they were emotionally connected to something but didn't have the knowledge to ask the next four or five questions they should ask on whether that opportunity was viable and then they lose their money and they go out and tell all their friends and their neighbors don't ever invest in a private company and the challenges that we had artificially placed on us by regulations would end up becoming much more of a reality when it came for um, entrepreneurs to be able to raise capital and one of the things about the jobs act was that a lot of people believed it was a, a true economic democratization of the capital markets because it used to be, if you think about to real estate decades ago, who invested in real estate? Only the most wealthy and um, institutions. But because of some regulatory changes and because of the of lending rules, a lot more people could get involved in investing in real estate as an asset class to create wealth and create long-term income. But they had to learn how to do it and they had to build teams. That's the same thing with angel investing. Everybody now has the opportunity to participate in investing in a private company before they grow big and get bought or go public. And they just have to know how, what's the process to do that the same way that they might consider investing in real estate. So in my book, this had to become something that was out there affordable for everybody to participate in. It has a rich set of tools that come along with it. So it really is a guide for people to, to get out there and start in understanding how they can add um, entrepreneurism to their portfolio without the, all the risk of becoming an entrepreneur themselves. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up. That's a very good point because we, a lot of things that we see out there, and, and this is this is why I wanted to have this conversation with you. A lot of times we see, let's take entrepreneurship, for example, it's glamorized. It's, it's puffed up to be this big, glamorous thing. Everybody should be an entrepreneur. Go out and do it. Oh, look at Shark Tank and look at this one and look at this. And people don't pay attention to what actually goes on with negotiating a deal to get investment dollars. The same thing with crowdfunding, the Jobs Act, the democratization of investing, all of that. People, I think, see it, and I've seen it in real estate too. I've seen it in, in angel investing where they're... For, for investing, to be an institutional investor, there are guidelines. You have to have, what, a million dollars net worth, not including your uh, main primary living residence, or you have to have $250,000 
annually yeah. salary, individual 300 for a couple, something like that. And people, they look at that as a barrier. But I look right. at it as a necessity because, like you said before, you don't want to get into something that you don't understand and then end up losing money and then you're sour on investing. You know, everybody's in the media or on social media or, you know, in the, the community, tech community especially, is really propping up angel investor, angel investor, but they're not discussing the, the nuances of it. They're not understanding. Everybody sees, oh, well, this new regulation allows me to invest at whatever. I don't have to worry about being an accredited investor anymore. I can put in $5,000 or I can do this. But where they're looking at this barrier to entry has been lowered, they're not talking about the risk. They're not even looking at the risk. It's, okay, I'm able to do this. And I think it's with a lot of things where we say, oh, now I finally have the ability to, but it doesn't mean that you should without getting the proper training. So I'm glad that you wrote this book and, and I have promoted it and I did tell all the people in my, in my network to go get it uh, when it first came out and I'll continue to tell people to get it. But let's move on to kind of like understanding what the benchmarks for investing should be. I know for me, I've set guidelines. There's certain criteria that I have to look at before I say yes or no on moving forward on an investment. What are some of the benchmarks that women should set for themselves when you're thinking about beginning angel investing? Okay, Adrian, that's a great question. Um, I think that one of the things that the first step in, whether woman or otherwise, but particularly for women, is um, understanding what, where your knowledge, your strengths are, and where you don't from an industry standpoint or from a business process standpoint, so that you can start with a certain level of comfort when it comes to evaluating the viability of a project. Mm -hmm. So if you have been in um, corporate world in a certain kind of company and you can understand that industry, then you should look for deals that are in that type of industry. Or if you have grew up in a family that maybe ran restaurants or ran certain kinds of businesses, then, or you had relatives that were in that and you kind of know the insides and outs, you are, have a built up sort of insider look at a certain kind of an industry. And so um, so that's the first step is understanding what you know and don't know because you, what you don't want to get involved in is something that you know nothing about just because it's hot. Like if you wanted to get all involved in blockchain, for example, because that's a hot new thing, but you don't really understand what blockchain is, don't just jump in just because somebody, you know, it looks good and it's all pretty, the presentation is slick and the guy seems really knowledgeable about it because you don't know how to ask the questions on how are they going to make money and understand the, the nuances of that marketplace or anything like that. Whereas if it's something you know, you'll understand a little bit about how ultimately they're going to make money. Because particularly if you're starting out in angel investing, you know, you hear this term, you might have heard this term unicorn Okay, so unicorn is the reference and the reason why it, to businesses that have over a billion dollars in valuation as a private company. And um, they call it unicorn because back when they first started, nobody believed that a company could have a billion dollar valuation. They said, I'll believe it when I see a unicorn. And so that's kind of how that, ta that name came up. Well, there's a certain am amount of people and mostly in Silicon Valley that are investing in unicorns because they understand the fall. They have access to the follow on capital because 
the nature of a business like that is that it's going to take hundreds of millions of dollars in order for them to become successful. Now, if you are in a situation where you don't have that kind of a network to know that they're following or the entrepreneur or the other people that are investing in it, they don't have that kind of a network to have that kind of follow on investment. You might want to scratch it back to something that doesn't require as much capital. And when, when somebody can raise hundreds of millions of dollars, a lot of times the way those venture capital people think about that, they don't really think about how are they going to make money. They're looking at garnering a large market or creating a whole new idea the way Uber was or the way Facebook was. And so it's, it's a different kind of business model. So you may, when you're first getting started, think about things that you are comfortable with that you know they can get to revenue with the amount of money that they're raising right now. They're raising a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, or even a million dollars. Can they get to profit with that so that they go to raise the next round of capital? It's for scaling, not just for paying the light bill. Right. Absolutely. And you know, I have, and it's kind of a running joke with the people who know me and, and my students and my clients, how I feel about valuations, because you, you know, Karen, you've seen people, they pull these valuations out of thin air. And I think for the novice or the entry level investor, they say, like you said, unicorn, I can't say that word either, but they say, oh, wow, this company has a, poten a potential to be at 10 million by next year. Oh, let me get into it now. And again, not asking the right questions, not examining the right tools or the right data. They're not really doing the due diligence that they're supposed to. And they fall into these traps and they don't understand. Talk about the, the importance of due diligence in the process, because a lot of people think I have people for that. Well, I, it's, <laughs> I don't read that. So talk about yeah. the importance of due diligence, especially when you're just getting started in investing. Okay, so there's kind of three key areas of um, due diligence that somebody needs to do, to do. And, and on the resource portal that comes with the book, I have a due diligence checklist, but I also have an entrepreneur questionnaire and, um, you know, a couple of other things, valuation, you know, worksheet, um, all of those different types of things that are kind of, that are part of it. So here's the thing. And it took me a little while to understand this when I was first getting started with um, working with angel investors and running my angel investor group. And I'd sit in these meetings with these investors and I'd listen to the questions. And then afterwards I said, well, why did you ask that question that way? And, um, and, and part of what experienced, due dil uh, experienced investors look at when they're doing due diligence is that they are assessing the valuation of a company and under trying to understand how much of an of a exit they can get to to um, how much of an exit they can get to in order to uh, um, to get the re the necessary return that they want on it, they have a measure or criteria of what they look at. So if so, the three areas. First of all, it's the credibility of the entrepreneur. So you want to know. Uh, and this is why it's so important to have sort of like a friends and family round. A lot of times investors will use this or the seed capital that they raise for people that they know. Um, and even if you are just getting started as an investor and you're the first ones you do are going to be with people that you know. And part of the reason why is because you trust them as a business person and the judgments they make in their work ethic. Okay. So um, uh, one of the kind of the hidden criteria that investors will look at, how much money have they raised from people that they know? And the reason why they do this is because when you're first meeting somebody that you've never met before and you're first getting to know them, 
you, 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 one of the easiest ways to measure a, 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 or grade them in a certain degree is it, does anybody they know, are they willing to risk their capital or their money in that endeavor, either because they totally believe in what the company is doing and they relate to that and they know it from an industry standpoint, but they knew these people, but, or also does this person have the work ethic? Are they trustworthy to put their money at risk? Even if it's only five grand, you know what I mean? Whatever it might be, they, if they've raised $20,000 as seed capital that they might've used for legal fees and incorporation fees and getting their website up or whatever, creating an MVP. And they raise that um, from people that they know, you know, even in $5,000 increments, that still says something that somebody knows them. And anybody that's over, even, you know, that's been in the workforce for any length of time should have peers that they've worked alongside or people that they've worked before or above them somewhere in their even not even there somebody that there's that's a relative to them but somebody that they know and the other reason why investors look at that they say if this company believes that this is going to be as successful as they think it's going to be and they want me a stranger to put my money at risk with them um how they may not believe it enough to put a friend or a family's money at risk. So it's either because they don't believe in the vision of the business well enough to actually put other people's money at risk that they know, or they, there's something wrong with them that other people won't, won't. So that's the first thing in due diligence that, and then you can always, it's, it's the simplest thing that sometimes people, you know, you forget that you could just Google somebody's name. Now, if we're working with a company and we're putting them up or helping them in any crowdfunding, we will have done that as part of our due diligence and we'll have the report there. But, you know, just like somebody when they're doing a job interview, they have to do a background check. Well, you can Google somebody and find out if they have any complaints against them from a business standpoint. Have they ever committed um, SEC fraud in some capacity because that will be a public record mm -hmm. and then okay So then the second thing is looking at the business model So this is how are they going to make money? And so depending on the stage of where they are Have they figured out really what is it going to cost to make whatever it is? What is it going to cost to sell it and what is it going to cost to support it and then figuring out the timeline of how long it's going to take to sell it so that they know what the gap is between their costs and their revenue and when do those numbers cross so they start to get into a cash flow positive. They may have an accrued debt that, um, or because they've brought in investment, they've got a, a nut that, you know, so it's took longer, but at least they're able to pay their bills on a daily basis when, as they're growing their business and they're fueling it with the money that they've raised on capital. And so sometimes when they're at a very early stage, they don't have all those answers, but they have to, there's a lot of, of industry knowledge that you can get from a small business development center. You could Google stuff or you go find an advisory board that has experience in that area that can help you solve those questions. And if you don't know an answer because you haven't yet made a prototype or something like at the very, very early stage, you should at least know that you don't know it. Okay. Don't make an assumption. So the investor needs to be asking, how did you get to those numbers? Where did you source them? Or in their plan, they should be footnoting it where they got that information. If they got it from the small business development center, if they got it through an incubator, wherever they got the information that they built their business model with. The worst thing, and this kind of leads into the valuation piece of it. The worst thing that an entrepreneur can do, and it happens 
all the time, okay, is to say the marketplace is this big and we're going to do a percentage of it, even a half a percent of this marketplace means that we're going to be $10 million in five years and that's a conservative number and they don't really know how they're actually going to build that. They don't know how they're going to sell the first one. They don't know how they're going to make money on it. They've just taken a percentage of the marketplace. And typically, it's a bigger marketplace than maybe a niche that they're going to do. They will gain so much more credibility with an investor. And an investor need that knows that industry, again, going back to that first thing, is they can wedge into a marketplace because they have a specific product that there's a gap or a need in the marketplace. And they address that need. And they've measured either through surveys online or through interviewing customers that are potential buyers, what are they willing to pay for it? Would they be, you know, would they be willing to do a beta test? Whatever it is, they need to gather credibility to validate their numbers and build from the top, the bottom up to where they're going to get and throw in, when I look at a spreadsheet and I'm analyzing it and they'll have this revenue that goes up and their expenses don't go up with it. Well, everybody that's in the business world knows that in order to fulfill additional revenue, you've got to add more people to it a lot of times, or you've got to add more capacity, which means more infrastructure. It's more, if you're doing a software as a service, it's more computers. If you're manufacturing something, it's more manufacturing lines. There is an associated cost that goes with that. And if they don't include that, that means that they don't know what they're talking about. And that's a huge red flag when you're going through the due diligence piece. Now, it could be you like the entrepreneurs and you like the business model or you like the product, you see an opportunity for it. And if you're at that seed stage, you could get involved and help them and invest time in helping them navigate and get better at doing that. But if there's so many opportunities for investment, if they don't understand what they're doing wrong and they're not willing to go get help or figure out how to do it right, move on, okay? And then the, the last piece kind of goes into the valuation and getting the return on investment. When entrepreneurs have a deep understanding of their marketplace and their space, they understand all the different, the amount of capital they're going to have to raise over time. It's called a cap table is what they typically refer to it as. And so within that, there's, because valuation is based on, it's always a pre-money is the first step. So the average startup that's in a technology space has a given rule of thumb is a million dollar valuation. So $250,000 investment in a pre-money million dollar company is 25% of the company. Mm -hmm. So they will grow that as they grow the value over time and they start to show that they execute, they create a minimal viable product with that. They know who their customers are going to be and they're moving along and they start to get their first customers. They may not be profitable yet, but they go out to raise another they go out to raise a million dollars now, but now they can warrant a $5 million valuation because they can start doing a hybrid of future value of the company and net present value along with what they've accomplished with the various milestones. So that million dollars on a $5 million valuation would give up another 20% of the company. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you start to, you start to see where now they've given up 45% of the company, but that first one, they got diluted because the value went from of that stock went from one to five X on that number. So when entrepreneur, when investors start to figure out what do they need to get on their return on investment? And then they say, okay, so if I'm part of that million dollar round, how much does that company have to sell for in order for me to get the return that I'm looking for? And that typically is based off of 
a common, you have to go out to market comps and you have to look at um, other companies that are in a similar space and what did they sell for and how long did it take them to get to that point. In traditional sectors, it's usually some multiple of their earnings before interest and taxes EBITDA. So that's an accounting number. And it's some multiple on that. And you can go, there's lots of M&A records that can show, show you what the multiples are. The um, Association for Corporate Growth tracks that stuff. And you can probably find it through one of their publications. And then, you know, you figure out that if you're going to be in a traditional sector that's not going to go public. If you're going to be... Um, if you're going to be something that's going to go really big and go public, then it's going to take a lot longer. It might take 10 years or more to get to that point, and you have to get to $100 million and evaluation that even if you're still sort of earning your way along and not highly profitable, you have to get to a larger valuation. So are you, going to, are you in a sector that's going to be able to attract the venture capital, the private equity funds that will put in five, 10, 15 million dollars to get to that sector. The good news is with the Jobs Act, you don't have to be a high tech company to be able to go out and raise large amounts of money to get to that. Because of the one particular one, Reg A Plus, you now can be a consumer products company, can be a franchise. You can be all kinds of other traditional sectors that typically had a large barriers to raise large amounts of capital. And now you can go out to the crowd. It costs money to do that. Don't, and it takes a lot of effort to raise large amounts of money. But you can raise as little as $100 from an investor up to, you know, whatever, because the max in a year is $50 million that a company can raise under a Reg A+. Plus. And, um, and, and it's, and it's a great opportunity to, it's kind of like the back door into the public markets now. And so for, uh, you can almost you take like almost six months to a year after you've raised your money to complete the stuff to be public. But now all those people that invested have a liquidity event with it, which is also another real good reasons for women that are trying to figure out how to get involved and not be intimidated with traditional angel groups or by financial planners or somebody like that, that feel they can, they can explore their, their angel wings, if you will, and, and look at reggae plus offerings that are in a space that they know it could be a cosmetics company. It could be um, a food company. It could be a company that they've gone to and they've, um, experience and bought from them as a customer and they love that company. They could be an ad that they see on TV that they relate to. And they think a lot of people, it might be something that um, a, a educational game that they think that their children would use. You know what I mean? It's all kinds of things that they can relate to either as a consumer, because you do know that women actually have more of the purse, the purse power in a household than they make most of the buying decisions. So they are making decisions every day on what they choose to spend their money on. And they now can make those same decisions and choose what they invest in because there really is very little barrier to it. And if they look at those three things, if they get my book and, and, and use the tools that are in there, then they have, they're well equipped to be able to proceed in the marketplace as an investor or an entrepreneur. Absolutely. So let's talk a little, well, we have, okay, so those of you who are listening on Law Tech Radio, we have about three minutes left before the live broadcast ends, and then you'll have to download to hear the bonus material that we're going to talk, because our conversation is not finished yet. So before we go off the air and continue our conversation, tell them a little bit about where they can find you, where they can get the book, and what's the best way to reach you? Okay, great. Thank you. So I made it really easy, karenrands.co, karenrands.co, that's K-A-R-E-N-R-A-N-D-S.co. 
very easy. All my social media is on there, and I'm pretty much on all my social media is Karen Rands as well. Um, and there's a tab there that says buy the book or inside secret about the book, and it gives you there's some videos of me talking about it. There's some samples. There's a uh, even a, a there's 44 inside secrets in here, and 12 of them are in a document on that. Or you can just go to Amazon. It's available on Amazon. Um, you can go to Barnes and Noble and order it through the ISBN number, which I'm not going to read it to you now. But it's on the it's on uh, in, in the Inside Secrets to AngelInvesting.com link through to the page on KarenRands.co as well. So I've made it very easy for people to find me. And on there, if you look at the About Karen piece of it, there are links to be able to set up a call with me on there directly. I also do free consultations with entrepreneurs in the entrepreneur section. You can click on that and fill out the form and set up a half hour consultation, yeah. all that good stuff. Okay, thank you. You guys definitely go ahead and get it. And you know, of course, at the end of the show, well, later today, we'll put up the page on mobilechicksradio.com and you'll be able to click on today's show episode and we'll have the links there, how to reach Karen on her website, how to get her through social media and how to buy the book. There will be links to all of that there. So yeah. we're going to continue our conversation. And those of you who are Listening live, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to hear it. You'll hear it when you download it. That consider it bonus material. So let's move on to talking about how a woman can. Okay, so so let me let me say this. There seems to be some fear, and and I, you know, I've done the angel boot camp recently, and I've been part of angel groups, and I am an individual angel, and you know, I talk to a lot of women, and a lot of times they're. Kind of confused They're like well do i go it alone do i join an angel group what's the benefit of an angel group? do i have to be tied to it forever how do i learn how to become an angel so just starting a woman who has this disposable income who's ready to go ahead and, and take her spread her wings into angel investing what path do you suggest she start or she begins with does she start with being an individual angel or should she take advantage of being part of the group experience okay so <clears throat> Um, I would hate to say this, but it depends. Okay. So here's the thing. Um, it's always best if you're going to do traditional angel investing, somebody's raising, you know, a good amount of money to co-invest with other people that are experienced at investing. And if you want to be coupled up with women organizations, you can, there's, uh, um, Golden Seals is one of the probably the most famous one that's around the U United States and major metros. And it's um, women investors that typically are investing in women owned businesses. And they started out up in the Northeast. I don't know how many chapters they have now, but they've got a number of chapters now. The, and so that's one. Or you can just look at what's in your town near you. And so the way most angel investor groups work is um, there's a fee to be a member of it. And that varies from a few hundred dollars to a few thousand dollars. Uh, there's usually a criteria questionnaire that you have to go through that validates your one year knowledge as well as your capacity to invest. And a lot of times they're now getting where they have a requirement that you must invest a certain amount in an annual basis. So like I can, uh, the, one of the local angel groups here in Atlanta and Atlanta technology angels. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's 2000 to join. I'm not exactly sure. Might be 10,000. And um, they have a minimum that you have to invest a minimum of, I think, 5,000 in that year. 
And as a result of them changing that, they've become very large and thriving. They have hundreds of members now. And so the members come together and they may only put five grand in a piece, but together multiple members will put a hundred grand investment and they form one LLC. And then that LLC, how much you participated in that LLC and how much equity that LLC got is how much you share in the outcome later on. Right. So if you aren't located, but see, here's the thing about annual investor groups. Um, they typically also have a time commitment associated with them. Most of them, like ATA, like I mentioned, they screen deals by the investors volunteering. And so they have a round robin and you'll have to commit at any given month, 10, 20, 30 hours of, of time, either in screening or conducting due diligence for the group. And plus the four or five hours it takes to go to their meetings on a monthly basis. And so you have to keep in mind. So when that was the other thing, when I wrote my book was um, I knew because of my own group that I ran for many years that a lot of times when people have day jobs and they're running their own company, they're an executive of the company, they're on a plane a lot of the time, they don't have the luxury of the time to participate in these angel groups. So yeah, they have the money, but they don't have the luxury of time or geographically they may not be located in a major metro where there's one of these angel groups. And so um, I wrote this book with the intention of that person that is making that $200,000, $300,000 a year and, you know, values being home. Because I had an angel investors that would be like, love to come, but my son's got a, a, a Little League game tonight and I got to go to that because that they had family as a priority. And given that women are our interest, for no, most women, particularly and women executives, their family becomes, if they're married, then their family becomes a big part of their priority when they're balancing their life. But they want to give their money an upgrade, so they'd like to get involved, and they believe in this idea of compassionate capitalism that says, if I can invest in an entrepreneur's passion and their company, that innovation will come to the market, they'll create jobs, they'll create wealth for me, and that and just buy and sell a stock, okay? And so, um, so I designed this book so that people that are independent can get involved and can syndicate either through my national network of angel investors, which is a virtual organization or through um, like angel.co, which is a online group of a lot of individual investors. Some of them extremely sophisticated and experienced in there that they'll take a lead on a deal and you can find a deal that's in your um, industry that you like and understand and you can look in there and see the kinds of investors that are leading a deal and then co-invest with them as you're getting started. There's also um, in, in the resource portal that comes along with the book, there's a spreadsheet to, to figure out which, what kind of deals you should look for based on your risk capacity and capital capacity. And then there's a companion worksheet that lets you judge a deal. So even if you are looking at something that you see online, like on Angel Co, you can still run it through this own filter and help to eliminate some of the emotional side of it. And one of the things about crowdfunding is that most crowdfunding campaigns have these really exciting, you know, um, uh, videos that, you know, is all the sizzle. And so if you apply the due diligence principles, you can dig underneath to see whether, and in, in any of those cases, there are going to be, um, there's going to be co-investors, but the portals that do the reg CF deals, there is, they don't, they don't vouch for those deals. They're not conducting any deep due diligence on them. And 
keep in mind, Kickstarter crowdfunding is very different than the equity investment crowdfunding that we're talking about on this call. So, um, so that's a, in the, there's a step-by-step -step section in there on if you co-investing in those groups, it's always nice to find a financial person, a legal person, whatever your skill set is. If your skill set is marketing, somebody else's operations, you can form your own kind of small group of, of, of at least, you know, almost like you have these investor clubs yeah. where, you know, they got real hot where people were learning and, and evaluating stock and everybody would go find a deal and they would come back and they would do their report on that kind of thing. You could do the same thing with private deals. You could look at the deals that are raising that capital online through general solicitation, whether it's Reg CF, the 506C, or Reg A+, and you can do your own kind of assessment of who's looking at it, and then bring it to your own group that you put together that have different skill sets, and be your own little informal group. I mean, any way that you can get, there's lots of different ways to get started yeah. in doing this stuff, and you know, going after it because I mean, it's, it is the best. I mean, really, if you look at pound for pound return on investment, yes, it's risky, but investing in entrepreneurs, that's where the great wealth gets created. The greatest wealth that we have, if you look at everybody that is on the, you know, the list of the greatest wealth, they made it through entrepreneurism. That's right. where they made it. Yeah. And you know, it, it, the thing about it is I think, like you said, there's so many, options out there and there's so much glamorization of it out there that a lot of people they're, they're being pulled in so many different directions and i love that you made that that connection between it's kind of like being in an investment club and i've, I've done that twice but um i've led two investment clubs and it really is and i think that with all of the noise that's out there it's more of a push okay this is my personal opinion if anyone listening gets mad oh well my personal opinion is I think that there's such a push to get more women to the table and to invest that they're making it more scary than it needs to be with it. It's, you know, you have, and, and there's some wonderful groups out there. I know of several personally that do the, the clubs and the boot camps and the training for angel investing. There's pipeline angels, there's 37 angels, there's a whole plethora of them out there. Golden Seas, they have programs that teach you how to become angel investors. But for those of you who either don't have the time to do it or feel intimidated by it, like Karen says, think about it like an investment club. You know, when we had our investment club, it was cut and dry. Everybody was assigned certain companies to research. You keep your eyes on this company, do your due diligence on this company. We taught them the skills, we gave them the tools, we gave them the, the, the worksheet, everything they needed. And they were able to examine these companies and come back and say, okay, this is why we should invest or this is why we shouldn't invest. Angel investing is the same thing. It's just a different name for it, and it's a different format. The stakes are a little higher, but it's about the same thing process-wise. And I think that a lot of women, because of so much background noise out there, they get psyched out and they talk themselves out of doing it because it's like, you know, it's too much work, too much regulation, too much this, too much this. And it really is not. It really is not. If you have the right resources, if you have the right people, in your group, in your corner, you can do it. And for me personally, I love being able to be an investor. Now I get, you know, to kind of piggyback off what Karen says, that all these resources where you can find um, companies wanting to pitch, my inbox is close. Yeah. I get pitched every day by companies I've never heard of before. And that's okay because some of them I discard because it's just, you know, off the top, like mm -mm, gut feeling, I'm not, no. But then there are companies that you think have promise, and those are the companies that you say, okay, hey, listen, group, hey, team, or whoever, 
let's look at this a little bit deeper. Let's talk to this company. Let's examine everything. And you might decide you want to do it. So don't think that you have only one limitation or that there's some secret society that you can find companies to invest in. They're everywhere. They're all yeah. over the place. And, and don't put, here's a tip for you guys from me. Do not put investor in your name, on your title, or on your, your profile on LinkedIn if you don't want to be bombarded by people looking for investment dollars because people yeah. use LinkedIn to find investors. So, but what I want to do now, since we're wrapping up, we're coming down to the end of the, the um, end of the wire. I want you to give your three best tips that you have for the listeners on how to get started in investing without being intimidated by the process. <laughs> Okay, first, first step is um, doing an assessment of what is it you know and what you're comfortable with, okay? That's very, and I, as I said, I have a, a tool on my, on my resource portal on that. But you can, you know, if you, if you just do it on your own, you can list your industries and grade what knowledge you have on those. And then also get grade on outside of like professional knowledge, what you know because of the magazines you read or the things you're involved in. Okay, so you want to go after what you know. The next thing is you have to keep in mind that it's not something that happens overnight. So um, I always say you've got to anticipate you must plan on investing in at least five companies over five years. I'd like to say 10 companies, but that can be intimidating. So we'll say five companies in five years. And so what does that mean? You can look at whatever your liquid capital is because of extra money, because you're concerned you have cash, but you can also look at what you have invested in your 401k if you're in a corporate job over a period of time, and you can take a piece of that and put it into a self-directed IRA, and then you can invest out of that after tax, and it accumulates over time. So you want to plan on it, and then you figure out how much money do you have. If you've got... $200,000 out of your 401k that you want to put in companies, well, then that means that you could probably do $40,000 a year in private companies as an investment. So if you were looking at spreading that out, you could even do a $20,000 investment or a couple of 20, the average on a national basis for regular angel investors is $25,000 to $50,000 in an individual deal. So if you, the more, the smaller the amount, the more you could spread it out. So you could do a reg CF for 10,000. You could do a traditional angel that you hear about local for 25, you know, just, you know, plan on it, spreading that out and don't rush in it. Understand it's a journey and don't get start. Don't go too fast when you first are getting your sea legs, so to speak. Right. Right. Gather up the resources, learn about it, establish your criteria. And then depending on how much you're willing to invest and you're comfortable with, you can get started, you know, the kind of one of the things that I've had a lot of my investors when they were first getting started in my group do that made them feel more comfortable because keep in mind when you invest in private equity itself, mm -hmm. it could be five, seven, 10 years. till you get a return on that money. And if that makes you nervous, just the idea that you can't get a return on it, you know, it's different if it's reggae plus and that kind of stuff. But if you, you, if it's, if it's, um, if that's something that makes you nervous, well, there's a lot of organizations like Prosper.com and some of these things, or even local businesses, once you sort of you touch base with um, something like the, the local chamber or small business, as soon as you start putting out to people that you know that you might finance somebody's um, purchase order, 
right? So you could get into us and, and do it a short term loan, or they have this thing that's called convertible notes, but that still converts into equity. So it's still a long term play. Um, but if you were doing something where you're just providing financing for 90 days, you're going to get a, you're not going to get a multiple on your number, but you're going to get a bigger return than what you get on the stock market. You might get three, four, 5% on that money in 90 days. And if you rotated that for a year and got a little bit bigger or more of them, you would create a nice little nest egg that you uh, kind of like going to Vegas where you let the run it on the house's money. You're pulling your money out now and you're running on the house's money because you're investing what you've made off of those little deals and it makes you feel a whole lot more comfortable. Then you could put your 25, whatever your principal was into something that's a longer play because you're creating a revenue stream off of those other ones. And then there's this one, it's another model that's not very much talked about, but it's perfect for people that are investing through a self-directed IRA is what we call royalty financing or revenue financing. Mm -hmm. So say somebody's got a business that's making money now and they have opportunity to go national with their product or take a franchise national. Well, you can get paid on the revenue stream on a monthly or quarterly basis that can go back into your 401k and grow that tax-free because you've already paid taxes on your principal in that. Mm -hmm. And um, it goes until some multiple on that. Nothing. So it's not, you're not having equity in that. You're just getting paid on the revenue. And so I, I would say be creative in thinking about what, what kind of, what industries are you familiar with? How much can you do a minimum investment on and what your capacity for risk is for long term? And then look at some of the creative models to create cash flow off of your investments as you start to look at, at longer term plays on right. that. Right. That was excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know you guys got an info for that. So I know people are feverishly taking notes right now but as they're listening. <laughs> So I want to thank Karen for coming on and sharing her insight and her wisdom with us today. We have covered a lot, and I hope that this has dispelled a lot of the myths for you. I hope this has answered some questions for you. And if it hasn't, you can always reach out to Karen, or you can reach out to us, or maybe we'll have her back and do another. There's so many offshoot topics of this one topic that we can talk about. We can talk about building wealth for days for women, so for months, for years to come. But I wanted to have this topic today because I wanted you all to understand that you can get involved in angel investing. You can do the philanthropic thing and help thriving companies, growth companies, and at the same time, use it as a wealth vehicle to build your wealth, your future wealth. So I want you to not be afraid, and I want you to be able to take chances, and I want you to be able to take this and do this. And I am saying thank you to you for tuning in, because we're about to shut it down for, the, for this episode. Next week, we're going to be having Aaron Ross on talking about predictive revenue, so that'll be a fun one as well. Sure. But thank you so much for tuning in today and taking time out of your busy morning to glean some insight and knowledge from myself and Karen. And of course, you can catch us on mogulchicksradio.com. Always, we're on iTunes, Google Play, Radio Public. You can catch the replay later or you can listen live each week. Either way, make sure you're tuning in. You can catch us on the web at Mobile Chicks across the web, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, Periscope, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it, we're on it, Snapchat. Or you can look up just little old me, Talent Diva on Twitter, Adrian Graham across the web. And make sure you tune in and, and give us some feedback. Send your questions. We want to be able to answer your questions and be able to get to the heart of some of the things that you want to talk about during our shows. And hopefully, after all is settled in the new year, we'll be able to start bringing some callers on and taking your questions live on the air. 
Send us email at info at vogelchicks.com if you have a question you want to submit or want to talk to us. Tune in at blogtalkradio.com slash mogulchicks or, of course, mogulchicksradio.com. And, of course, for all things mogulchicks, of course, mogulchicks.com. You can get the magazine, listen to the show. You can join the academy. You can join the membership. You can learn how to become an investor. You can learn how to grow and scale your company. Either way, just check us out at mogulchicks.com. Remember, Mogul Chicks are always a step ahead of the crowd, and Mogul Chicks close deals. Are you ready to make a mogul move in a power play? Yes. Your move. <laughs> See you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.